Welcome to Storytime with Uncle Reddit, a podcast where I read some of the best posts from across Reddit and around the web. Each episode is a collection of random, funny content picked from around the web, like tales from tech support, entitled parents, choosing beggars, pro-revenge, and more. The podcast is taken right from our Uncle Reddit YouTube channel and placed here for those of you who prefer to listen to the stories without having the need for text on the screen. I upload several times each week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the fat guy with the beard telling stories. The user who restarted too much. Today, one of my users had a problem with getting QuickBooks to open a company file over the network, so I went down to her desk. I had no clue what QuickBooks was having problems with because I just clicked open and the QuickBook login screen showed up. I started to leave. At this point, the user mentioned that she's been restarting her computer three or four times a day. I have problems getting some users to restart once a week. I asked her why. She said that it was because her dual monitors never came back up correctly when the computer went to sleep. One of them would always be blank, and the desktop icons would end up on the other monitor. In other words, standard Windows difficulties keeping track of a second display. She thought it was normal to have to restart a computer this often because it was about 5-7 to years old. I told her that no, it's not normal to have to reboot this often, regardless of PC age. I disabled automatic sleep to prevent this from happening in the future, and she was quite happy that she wouldn't have to restart so often. The real kicker? This is the first ever user I posted about on Tales from Tech Support, the one who exited the start screen by restarting. Yeah, I get it. Uh, Right now, I only have one display working for me, but ultimately I want two displays, and I know Windows occasionally will have issues with that. Um, I haven't set up the power settings on this PC yet, so... It probably will go to sleep on me at some point when I don't want it to, so. When the errors are not what they seem. So I worked as a hardware engineer and this happened about three years ago. Our company developed a tool I'll just call MIW, making it work, which was essentially a hardware emulator for real life signals that are expected on a machine another company built. They used our MIWs to test their machines and to make sure that they worked properly before shipping them off. The MIW was just a small aluminum box with a bunch of connectors, so nothing fancy. Part of my duties was assembling the MIWs and testing them with logic analyzers and oscilloscopes to make 100% sure that they're outputting the correct signals. I had to write a 4-ish page test certificate for every single module. Gladly we only had to assemble about 20 a year. Then something strange happened. Ever more frequently, we got some of the MIW units sent back with a repair order because, according to the customer, they weren't working. On the report, it always just stated, no slash wrong output. Okay, so I disassembled the units, measured some traces, making sure there were no shorts, and then fully tested them, writing the full test certificate again. Interestingly enough, all MIWs were perfectly fine. After the fourth or fifth unit sent to us in a single month, we called the customer asking what that was all about since every unit was perfectly fine and within the specs. We asked them to check their connection cables, reminded them of making sure to screw them all into the MIW during testing, some of the connectors were D subtype ones, and said to check it all. A week later we get a package from them with another MIW stating no slash wrong output error along with all their connection cables. I was pretty grossed out when I saw them. The isolation was broken all over the place with the small copper wire showing through. Grease, dust, and other grime covered everything, and after cleaning and testing the cables, I did continuity checks on them. I figured out that about 20% of the connections had loose contacts, and a few other ones were completely broken. I wonder why it even worked sometimes. 
So I rang up our customer, stated everything, and asked how to proceed from there on. Should I just repair the old cables, which I didn't recommend at all, or make new ones which could take a few weeks since we hadn't all the necessary parts stocked? They chose the much recommended option too, and I ordered all the parts. Waited for their arrival, made some new ones, tested them, and wrote a full report over my findings. I made sure to include a copy of that report with the shipping to our customers as well as a friendly reminder that if they ever have testing problems again, if the new cables look like the old ones, please send us them instead of the MIWs. We only had to repair one single MIW since then, but had to make two other cable sets. I don't know how they're treating the cables, but to be honest, I really don't want to know. Yeah, it amazes me when I see cables where the ends are all stretched out, like you said, covered in grease. I've seen cables of all types, chargers, connectors, USB, Ethernet, covered in food and like coffee and soda and sticky and ugh. I don't understand how those types of parts can get so abused. I guess it's just because people really don't care. It's not theirs and they didn't buy it. These processors are too good. Kind of long. Apologies if it's too boring. Many years ago, I was service tech for an automation company. We sold complete solutions, including all hardware and software for large installations. Most of these were multiple branch situations, connected via leased phone lines, back when the internet wasn't a thing. One of the guys I worked with was from Russia, and one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. His experience in computers involved having to rebuild most systems at a customer's site since the factory just shipped stuff out to make their quotas. No one cared if it worked. So he was an excellent troubleshooter, down to the component level. He was our in-house tech support guru. Let's call him Ivan. Some of the items we sold with our systems were computer terminals, which were manufactured by another vendor. And they, frankly, were not that great. My company was in the process of spinning up our own ability to manufacture a new line of terminals, but two large sales came up before we were ready. So our old vendor was tasked to build an intermediate model, better than the old ones, not as good as our new and improved models would be. So they built around 150 to 200 units. Half were installed for a customer in California, and half went to a customer in the eastern U.S. We started to get reports of erratic behavior from both customers. Basically, the display would get scrambled and the terminal had to be reset. Soft reset. But it cleared any work in progress, so the customer had to re-enter what they were doing. We figured out that static electricity was a common cause. A user would walk across some carpet, touch the terminal, and the display would scramble. Sometimes it would happen without anyone touching it at all. We kicked this problem back to the vendor and sent some of the problem units to them. They also sent one of their QA techs to the customer site to see if he could figure it out. We also sent a couple of units to our engineering group at our manufacturing center. So lots of people were working on the problem, but no one was working very hard. The vendor knew we wouldn't be buying any more terminals from them, so they kind of went through the motions. Our engineering folks had many problems they were working on, and they knew that we would not have any more of this model coming online so they weren't too invested in the problem either. The customer was really unhappy with how long things were dragging on, months, and was complaining to the sales team, who was complaining to my boss, who was the service manager for the Western US. He called Ivan and me in and said he wanted us to solve the problem. Forget about everyone else who was working on it. Overtime was authorized for us to work after hours. Ivan knew way more about digital circuits than I did, but I was around as an assistant. That evening we pulled one of the units apart so the logic board was exposed, but the unit was powered up. We found we could force the problem by simply touching the microprocessor chip with a metal tool or even a finger, running it along the leads. 
We couldn't believe that an entire load of chips was defective, so Ivan was poking around and got the idea that maybe the chip was getting dirty power. We had an oscilloscope handy and he checked for ripple on the power lead for the chip, and it looked fine. However, Ivan realized the voltage looked wrong. It should be 5 volts. I couldn't tell from scale we were using, so we grab a DVM and check the voltage and it's about 4.5 volts. Ivan grabbed the catalog we had and looked up the chip. It required 5 volts plus or minus a quarter volt, so the power was out of spec, but the terminal still worked at 95% of the time. He started checking voltages where the supply connected to the logic board. It was around 4.95 volts. The power supply was in an external brick, which we opened up and found 5.05 volts. I think. This was almost 40 years ago. The brick was connected to the terminal by a 6 foot multiple lead cable. I was thinking how terrible this was. I had no idea how we were going to fix it. I'm guessing the vendor's going to have to rebuild all the power supplies, or we are. Ivan just held up a hand and continued reading the catalog and looking into the power supply. He then announces that the 5 volts is supplied by a specific regulator in the power supply, and the company makes a 6 volt regulator in an identical case, and we'll just swap it and see what happens. Next day we went to a local supplier and bought a couple of the 6 volt regulators. Rushed back to the office and swapped out the 5 volt for a 6. The regulator wasn't even soldered in, it used a socket. We powered the terminal up and started checking voltages. We had at least 5 volts everywhere and the terminal display was stable now. We had another terminal so we did the same thing for it and found it was stable also. We wrote up our findings and sent them off to our engineering team. In the meantime, we bought enough 6 volt regulators to upgrade all the customers units. We told our local tech to just start changing out the regulators on an as needed basis and to put a colored sticky dot on each power supply he upgraded. Then we got a whole bunch of stuff from our engineering team. They had created a field change order, complete with components, diagrams, forms, and wanted us to use this instead. We figured their fix would take over an hour per unit to upgrade. Ours would take 5 minutes. They had included additional wiring to make the voltage adjustable on a unit by a unit basis. Ivan and I talked it over with our boss and decided we'd just proceed with our easy fix and hope no one followed up with us. Ivan pointed out that the real problem was that the chips were too good. If they had really required the specific voltage, the problem would have been discovered by the manufacturer and solved before the terminals left the factory. Of course he was joking, but it was kind of true. Some weeks later I was at a party where one of the engineers that worked for terminal manufacturer happened to be. He and I knew each other pretty well, and I knew he had been one of the team that designed the problem terminal. I was describing what we had found and how we fixed it, and he kind of leaned back in his seat and rolled his eyes. I asked him what the problem was and he told me that the original design called for the power supply to be internal to the terminal, so there would not be a 6 foot power lead, so maybe everything would have been okay if they hadn't switched to the external brick, which was done since they wanted to use a slimmer case for the terminal. At the end of the day the customer was happy, the sales team was happy, and we were happy. And I got a lesson in perfect being the enemy of good enough. Yeah, sometimes shooting for perfection just kind of muddies the whole thing up. I know that sounds stupid, but there's times when you just need that good enough, get it done, is it safe, stable, functional, yada yada yada, same thing in the building trades. When you're laying out a wall to see where your stud placement's going to be, your tape doesn't read a sixteenth of an inch. That's sort of the, the given rule. Anything inside of an eighth of an inch is usually good enough, as long as you nailed it or screwed it properly. Trim carpentry? Different story. Coding with no specification. The management said, you don't need a specification, you're being paid to use your brain as well as to code. 
So as a senior software developer, with some 12 years of experience at that point, I was hired to lead a minor group of juniors for a small-ish company, 30 to 40 employees. First hint that there might be problems ahead dealing with the management of this particular company was the info that I got that the entire previous dev team had rage quit and additionally were being sued by the company. Uh-oh. My first task was to reverse engineer VBA scripts embedded in an Excel document made by a competing company. The idea was to import into our database everything as is, in string format mostly. The business rules, validations, were implemented within the said Excel template and not in our application. Our application was to simply import user data straight into our data store, no validation, no transformation, and then to export it into a new Excel. This new Excel would then be distributed to the clients who would then make the adjustments to the data that at this point would pass through validations implemented within the Excel document. As you can see, the idea in its entirety was terrible. The real winner came shortly thereafter as the sole junior who had been working on an app called AppX for the purposes of this article suddenly quit. The reason he quit was he knew what the true state of the application had been at that point and therefore was 100% certain he could not deliver what was needed to avoid being sued by the client. The guy was a student at the time he was hired by the company to create a C application. The problem was, he was studying Java. The management of this company was completely oblivious to such nuances. Before he left, he was tasked to leave behind at least some documentation, which he did. But since he was unsupervised, the company couldn't spare anyone at that time to take a look at the documentation and see if it's okay. So he simply took the screenshots of all the user forms and named them UI1, UI2, etc. The documentation was therefore completely useless. At this point, I was given first actual task on the app X. The task was to basically change how the entire application worked in like a four week time while simultaneously working on other projects. The application was a bit hard to navigate through. It seemed I couldn't find any repository classes. Those are usually used to connect to the data store. But I said to myself, hey, the guy was a junior. He probably hid all his SQL statements somewhere, so no problem. I'll find where the SQL was sooner or later. The data was presented on the front end, the list of users, the list of projects, so stuff seemed to function normally. I was told the application had been in full production for approximately a year, so I wasn't, yet, alarmed by not being able to immediately find the SQL. Soon thereafter, I needed to rework how the list of projects were displayed to admin users. I could see the list of projects, but the database was empty. No tables, no projects, no nothing. Then it dawned on me. So I did a full find all on the entire project and used one of the project names as a search criteria. And bingo, the entire list was there in HTML, hard-coded. Obviously, the entire app was not at that moment connected to a data store. And this is how it had been working in production for at least a year. All exceptions were being overridden to return a success message. So all testers on both sides were completely fooled by this. All the deletes and updates seemed to be working. jQuery had made sure inserts looked semi-okay as well. Okay, so now I was aware of the full extent of the problem at hand. I basically needed to connect the app to the data store, featuring some 200-ish UI forms. The management said, how hard can that be for a senior developer? It's a simple task. <laughs> and under normal circumstances, that would be true. You simply take the specification, model the database as per normalization rules, create repository layer, ORM, and design the needed queries. The problem was the entire thing had to be completed in three weeks. Okay, fine, I said. 
Give me the specifications so I can get started. The sooner I get started, the sooner we will know how quickly the task can be accomplished on one senior developer. So they said, we don't have the specification. Our former employee had it in his Outlook inbox and he left. There's no specification, but a senior developer shouldn't need to be told everything. We expect you to think as well as to act all within the previously agreed time constraints. The usual managerial mumbo jumbo when they have no clue whatsoever they are doing, but are being pressed by impending doom. So I asked, okay, can't the PM visit the client and ask what needs to be done? No, the client must not find out that the application has not been finished. It is in production after all. If we were to begin asking such questions at this point, we would end up being sued. So I said, okay, so let us sum this up real quick. The application is a complete fake. It's not connected to an actual data store. The specification is irrevocably gone. And the client thinks that the application is 99% complete and is willing to sue if we don't deliver in two weeks? Yes, but that shouldn't be a problem for a senior developer, right? We are paying you after all. Actually, several payments were being laid at that moment in time. Right. I immediately began looking for a new job, and the following two weeks had passed with no real work being done, so the pressure mounted. I started receiving late-night mails along with lines of, Will we have a working sample delivered to test tomorrow morning? So I replied, no, with kind regards, XY. At the same time, the company brought in a new managing director to fix things, to discipline people and to make things work. At that point, it was really quite obvious the company was going to burn down, Hollywood style. The PM began arriving at work at 1400, proceeding directly to nearby cafe to continue his drinking. He needed to be properly boozed up before he had been talking to me because he didn't have a feeling that I was taking this whole thing seriously enough and that I would cause the company to burn, but at the same time was unable to exert pressure to make me work 120 hours a week. The overtime was unpaid. Screw that. Right about that point in time, the time for me to go on vacation came. Lest the vacation days be lost. The laws of my country state that if you don't consume your paid vacation time by a certain date, the vacation is permanently lost. So I chose to go on vacation instead of working for the company. That was the final straw. One weekend of my paid vacation, I got summoned to the office and got fired for destroying the company's good name and an excellent project that had been successful in production up to that point. After all, the client had signed the handover. The testers on both sides signed the acceptance documents. A colleague from the other department, Sysops, jumped from his balcony. Another colleague threw an ashtray at a waiter at a local bar. <laughs> Entire sales and marketing team left software development department got closed. The company's assets got frozen. The end. This scenario sounds really familiar. I think part of it came from a movie back in the day called Office Space, where everything crashes down around everybody. People are getting laid off and fired and, you know, jumping out of the building, things like that. I could be wrong. Yeah, if that's the movie or not, let me know down below. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.